Andrea, turn it to you. All right. Welcome to our second session of day one of our, well, I guess it's technically day two of our GDUI programming. This is our 2020 virtual convention, which is a really new experience. Um, it's strange. I thought it wouldn't be weird to be doing moderating a, a session where there's no actual people here because I can't, of course, look out at the audience and in, because I'm blind. So, but what I realized is that not having the people in the room and hearing the chairs and the dog harnesses and the collars and it's all very strange. So, um, I appreciate everybody's patience as people who are participating, attendees, our speakers. We're we're working our way through this. I cannot say thank you enough to the folks at ACB who are making this all happen. To Maria, I, I think that maybe we didn't know it, but you're actually a professional moderator of Zoom conventions because you're amazing. Um, I want to remind everyone quickly that we have our raffle this year. It's our exclusive only fundraising option for our um, affiliate for the convention. And it is the raffle prize, I'm sure you all know, but just in case is a plush German Shepherd dog in harness. The harness is a handmade, beautiful harness by Hava. And those tickets are available by calling our main office or on our website, and they are available for sale until tomorrow at noon Eastern. Then the ticket sales will close and we will draw the winning ticket during our last session tomorrow afternoon, sometime around 4.15 or so. Um, this is an, a very exciting session. I. I love to listen to Lucas. He could read the phone book to me as far as I'm concerned, and I just listen to it because he's got a great voice and he does everything with such style and humor. But today he's going to teach us about clicker training, which apparently I think he said something to the effect that if he can be clicker trained, then anyone can. And um, so that is what we're doing today. And I'm so glad you're all here. And Lucas, thanks for being here as well. Okay, Lucas, you there you are. Hi, everybody. Um, I'm going to see if I can unmute myself permanently. Hold on a minute. You, you are. You are, Lucas. You're unmuted. Okay, there we go. Um, it's really odd to be here and nice to be here. I'm glad. You know, I, I was saying the other I have not been home for the 4th of July weekend for 20 years or more. So, and I didn't know what to do with myself. So thank you so much for helping me feel at home, even though I am at home. Um, I see we have 130 people here. Is there any way to know who they are, moderate or moderatrix? <laughs> um, well, I don't think it's because we have so many, uh, we're not going to allow them to mute and unmute themselves. Um, mm -hmm. If you would like to see, you can go, you can click on participants there on your screen. You see panelists and then participants. Wow. And you can see all 131 of uh yeah oh no i'm sorry you cannot i, I apologize um okay. because of the way that i have you set up right now um if you need to see them um do, sure. here i can um let's see i i can uh give you let's see hey this is andrea I, all right I, lucas you should be able to see them now Great, okay. it would be so cool if we could all introduce ourselves but with the limited time we have if exactly we yes. we're not going to be doing that completely understood but lucas if you're looking for someone in particular you sh you can now see the participants so just let me know you, you know oh my god once 150 680 is here good to see you it's all phone numbers so i it's a, oh no there's a few people there hi everybody good to see you all okay so uh, 
I don't know, because of the way this is set up, I don't know what your expertise is. Uh, if, you, if your dogs were uh, from schools that do a lot of clicker training, whether if your dogs are from schools that don't do any clicker training, or like the seeing eye, we use clicker training uh, in certain ways, and we use it in ways that other schools don't. Uh, so there's a great there's a great range out there in terms of of, of what people know and what they're used to doing. Uh, if the audience is typical, there will be some people who think that clicker training is the best thing since sliced bread, and there will be another subset of you who think that all this clicker stuff is nonsense. Why can't I just praise my dog? Um, and everything in between. So one of the things that I do for the seeing eye we what we do is we have two lectures on clicker training as well as practice sessions of course but the the first lecture on clicker training is for everyone and it's very general uh, but in our system although the dogs are all exposed to the clicker and trained to the clicker and certain with the clicker in certain aspects of the training including targeting and country work um, the the second lecture is optional because if people do not wish to participate in the clicker training program, they don't have to. The dogs don't have the option. They all know the clicker, but people have the option of learning it or not. So, um, so what we do in that second lecture is review our processes so that to be sure that all of the students in the class are on the same page. Uh, and then we just go into a little bit of theory. And I thought what I would begin with, and I want to be able to leave a lot of time for questions and answers, and I will probably duck some questions that are school specific because I don't want to get the world pissed off at me, uh, is talk to you a little bit about the, the history of, of clicker training and then take a look at some, some aspects of, of <clears throat> practical use in, in, in certain elements of training. Um, you know, clicker training is relatively new but there are elements of it that go back a long way. Right now I'm reading a book or rereading a book actually written by a fellow named Conrad Most, M-O-S-T, you can look, look it up, uh, called uh, something like dog training. Uh, he was German and uh, he uh, was a World War I veteran. And in his description of how he trained his dogs and he was apparently very good, the front cover shows a German shepherd coming towards you with a revolver in its mouth that it has retrieved. Um, but <clears throat> he used what he called inducements and inducements are, are often thought to be the same thing that modern behaviorists would call stimuli, uh, and reinforcements and, uh, or reinforcements. So you know, this goes back at least to the interwar period, but what we think of in general as click, as clicker training and operant conditioning was really developed by a fellow named B.F. Skinner, as you, as you no doubt know. Now, Skinner was a psychologist, and he taught at Harvard, but he really began to develop clicker training when he taught at the University of Minnesota. And he had a, a, a laboratory in a, a set of silos that are, I think, on Hiawatha Avenue outside of Minneapolis. They still stand. Uh, and what he was doing there was he was experimenting with training pigeons. 
and the pigeons he was training were actually to be used. He was working on a project, I think, for, uh, for the United States Air Force, and they were trying to get pigeons to peck a photograph of a target that a, an airplane would drop a bomb on in Germany. So let's imagine there's a photograph of a factory and the airplane drops the bomb and the bomb looks like it's going to miss the target. Well, the plan was to have all these pigeons in the nose cone of this bomb and they would peck at pictures of the factory. And when they pecked, they would move the fins on the bomb so that the bomb would in effect be guided by the pigeons to land in the middle of that factory. It was the, the, the project was called Project Pelican. Uh, so this was in the early stages, this was actually before the war, but this is what this eventually grew up to, grew into. Uh, Project Pelican worked. They were able to train pigeons to, to do this. Uh, unfortunately, the pigeons usually died in the explosions, but uh, it was thought to be a small sacrifice. Uh, but eventually, of course, they developed the atomic bomb and that kind of accuracy was not quite as critical. Um, but what Skinner was doing in Minneapolis was he was training pigeons to peck a certain number of times, let's say five times, one, two, three, four, five. Uh, and <clears throat> what he had was he had a, a reservoir of food or a hopper of food. And when the pigeon pecked five times, he would hit a button and the, the hopper would release a piece of food that would roll out and the pigeon would be reinforced for that. Does that make sense? I hope. Uh, the problem he was having was that there was a delay between the time he pushed the button and the time the food rolled out. You can imagine that. And so what he would do, what he would, on four, he would push the button, hoping that the food would roll, roll out right on the count of five and the pigeon would peck and, and have it. And it didn't work. And what, didn't, what happened was when he pushed the button to release the food, the reservoir or the hopper made noise. It would go kathunk and then a piece of food would roll out. And the pigeons kept stopping when they heard the kathunk instead of going for when the food rolled out. And so he thought this was just awful. And then all of a sudden in, in a, a sort of a mo an aha moment of inspiration, he came to realize that he could use that reaction to the sound. So what he did was the pigeon kept pecking and on five, he hit the button. It would go kathunk, the pigeon would stop and look for the food and get the food. So the, the kathunk sound that resulted when he hit the button actually became what he called a conditioned reinforcer. A conditioned reinforcer. So the food was what he thought was going to be reinforcing. It turned out there was a conditioned reinforcer. The hard part about doing this type of talking is that my style of lecturing, as those of you who've had the misfortune to sit through one or two of them, is that I like to check in with people and say, make sure people have got it. And I haven't left somebody behind because for a moment they thought, you know, oh, I forgot to do X, Y, or Z and they forgot something, but I can't do that. So I'm just gonna have to keep plowing ahead and hopefully can open it, open it up for questions a little bit later. So here's Skinner up there with his pigeons and he called it a conditioned reinforcer. Conditioned just means learned. 
simply enough. And a reinforcer is something that makes something happen more quickly, more often, uh, more strongly. Uh, so obviously that's what a reinforcer is. So a conditioned reinforcer is a learned reinforcer, which makes sense. Okay, the pigeon was actually working for the food, but he learned or she learned that that kathunk sound predicted the food. And so he would or she would stop when the kathunk happened. So Skinner called this a conditioned reinforcer and began to write about this, about this process. Um, from there, he had some graduate students. I'm just going to talk a little bit about the development of, of clicker training in this country. Um, so he had some graduate students. They were named uh, Marion and Keller Breland. And I, I met Marion. Uh, she's gone now, but, but Keller had died long before. And <clears throat> they were graduate students. The war came. They got, they got involved in Project Pelican, and then they, they, they kind of quit grad. I think Keller got his doctorate. Marion did years later. But they went off, and they started a company that was called Arkansas Behavior Enterprises. Um, and they decided to try to monetize what Skinner was working on. And they did a great job of it. They trained animals for all kinds of things. Their basic bread and butter was in those days, and some of you may be old enough to remember this, there in, at county fairs, you would have a, a sort of a, a booth. And in that booth, was, it was a glass enclosed booth. You could put in a quarter, or in those days, it was probably five cents. And what would happen is an animal would come out and do something and then run back into its hutch. What it would do depended on what it had been trained to do. For example, there was a game where if you put a, a nickel in, uh, a chicken would come out and stand at bat at a baseball, and like in a baseball stadium, hit, hit a ball, run around the bases, and then go back into its hole. There was another game where um, a, a duck would come out and start dancing on a, on a, on a turntable to rock and roll music. You know, um, there are all these little games that you could play. So you, that he would, they would train animals. They had kind of a conveyor belt and they would train all these animals and ship the animal and the container, the game set out to the, the county fairs and, and everything was great. And if your animal died at the county fair, you would, you know, call up the Brelands and by gosh, you know, the next day through Federal Express or whatever they were using at that time, another bunny would arrive or another chicken that would arrive, and you could put it right into your existing box, and the pigeon knew exactly what to do, or the rabbit or the chicken knew exactly what to do. Uh, so it was this entire marketing scheme. But they also did a lot of other work. They did work for the Army in Vietnam, where they were, tra they were training pigeons to scout out in front of patrols, uh, looking for ambushes and flying back if they found something that, that looked threatening. They even trained, and there's a movie on this that you can, you can still get uh, that was called Patient Like the Chipmunks. You can look that up and you can order that. Uh, it's, it's, it's very choppy footage that they, they rescued from a fire, as I recall. But they, they even trained uh, ravens to fly to the windows of office buildings where important meetings were taking place. And the CIA would use these ravens to sit, fly to this a windowsill and photograph inside the meeting room of who the people were there. So you had this raven landing on the windowsill, taking a picture of what was going on in the room and flying back with its camera. 
they trained cats to sit perfectly still in the middle of an airport. Of course, it would be easy now. Nobody's in airports. But, um, and uh, just, they, were, they were remarkable trainers, and they used this approach all over the, all over the place. They also met and worked with a fellow named Bob Bailey. And I met Bob as well. I'm fortunate enough to be able to say, although I never got to work with either Marion or, well, a little, little bit with Marion, but never got to work much with, with Marion or Bob. Um, they, uh, Bob Bailey, somehow, I think he was very surprised by it, ended up in charge of the Navy's Marine Mammal Program. And the Navy was training dolphins to do all kinds of stuff. And this was free swimming work where they would, they would mount a, a listening device, for example, on a dolphin and have it swim out to sea 10 miles and put the listening device underneath uh, uh, a Russian sh spy ship or something so they could figure out what was going on. Remarkable, remarkable work. And so Bob uh, learned how to do this type of training from probably Skinner himself, I'm not sure, but also from Marion and, and, uh, and Keller Breland. Keller died young and Marion and, uh, and Bob got married. Uh, so they were, they were a remarkable, remarkable, remarkable couple. For years, Bob Bailey ran a chicken training camp uh, every year. So he would bring students in to teach them how to uh, train chickens because Bob Bailey's dictum was that training, clicker training at least, is a mechanical skill. And there's something to that. We'll get into that perhaps a little bit more later in questions. So after marine mammal work and, and, and at that point somehow uh, Karen Pryor, uh, whose name I think you probably know, was a dolphin trainer. Uh, and I think she probably knew Bob Bailey exactly how that story happened. I, I don't remember anymore. Uh, Karen Pryor got involved in it and Gary Wilkes. Uh, Gary, uh, I think, spoke at an ACD convention or a GDUI convention many years ago. Seems to me it was in Phoenix because that's where he lives. Um, and, uh, uh, and they began to move the, the technology, if you want to call it that, into the dog world. Uh, in, in the early 90s. Um, and from there, it came into uh, the guide dog world quite early. Uh, Michelle Pouliot, of course, took a lead role in that on, on the West Coast uh, uh, and, with G and, and was able to move GDB's training program in that direction. And I was in, started to get involved in about 95. Uh, and went to my first workshop with Bailey, with the Baileys and uh, Karen Pryor and Gary Wilkes and a bunch of other people in, uh, in Guelph, in Canada, in uh, 95 or 96. Um, so getting back to uh, sort of back again to the nuts and bolts, we've got Skinner there in, in Minneapolis with his button on the, uh, on the trigger of that hopper, and he called that a conditioned reinforcer. Let's get into the jargon a little bit. So conditioned means learned, reinforcer means something that uh, makes something happen more quickly or faster or stronger. Um, it's also sometimes called the clicker or the click is also sometimes called a secondary reinforcer. Now, if there's a secondary something, there must be a first or a primary of that thing. 
So what is a primary reinforcer? Well, by definition, a primary reinforcer is generally biological in nature. It is something that makes the animal feel better in some way. So things you can eat are obviously primary reinforcers. If the animal is thirsty, drinking is a, is a primary reinforcer, and there are several others. Um, praise is also a primary reinforcer. And, you know, I, one of the things that, that interests me is that we tend to think that food is the most powerful reinforcer, and it probably is in the short term for most dogs, although not for all. I was recently working with a hound cross, and dog didn't care a, a hoot about food. What it cared about was having a ball thrown so it could run after it and chase it and retrieve it and come back. So, you know, what, what the, what's re and that play, that energy, that fun, that's also a primary. Um, but there's some research recently, fairly recently, isn't it? A fellow by the name of Jeff Byrne at Emory University um, did some work and he was trying to what he did, and you may have heard about this, um, is he wanted, he was, he's a neurophysicist, and he wanted to know, he loved dogs, and he wanted, loved his dog, actually, and he wanted to know what was going on in the dog's mind. And so what he did was, I, if I lose power, I'm in the middle of a thunderstorm here, I apologize, but... Um, what he did was he trained his dog to lie. Many of you, I'm sure, have had MRIs. And they're not fun, are they? You're in that little that tube and these, these things are banging all over the place. It's scary. I've had one. Um, but what he did was he trained his dog to lie perfectly still inside an MRI tube, which is really quite a feat. He had a professional trainer advise him on how to do it. What was really cool was how he did it. And what's remarkable is he didn't get a divorce because what he did was he took, you know, if you were trying to pour concrete and make a concrete column, vertical column, you would have a big tube that you would stand on end filled with concrete. When the concrete dried, you could take away that cardboard tube and you'd have a column. Well, what he did is when he, got a, he got a cardboard tube and put it in his living room lying down so that it kind of looked like an MRI tube. And then he took his dog and trained his dog to lie perfectly still in the MRI tube. And he played MRI noises until the dog was really, really used to it. And then he took it to an MRI machine that he actually had access to because he was a, a neuro or nuclear uh, biologist, I think, or I don't forget his exact title. And he trained it. He was able to actually look at the dog's brain as he was presenting stimuli to it. And of course, and he did this with a lot of dogs, not just his own. And what he found was that the, although the dog's brain lit up when you presented a food stimulus to it at the end of the tube, it also lit up probably more if you showed, showed them its owner. And sometimes, if I recall correctly from the book, even a photograph of its owner. So what this says to me is that food is really important to dogs, but so are you. As the person, your praise has, and I'm not telling you anything you don't know, uh, has great, great value to your dog. 
and you don't want to minimize the value of your love and, and the reinforcing actions you take, the petting, the scratching, the talking uh, that you do with your dogs, critically important to the dog. In fact, there was a guy, and I bet a lot of you remember this study. The, uh, there was a study that was done way back in the 50s. I don't think you do it now, where a guy named Harlow took little baby monkeys and put them in, there were two separate cages and he put the baby monkeys, split them in half. I mean, not cut them in half. That'd be awful. But I mean, he said, three on this side, three on the other side. And he put them in cages. One cage had a wire figure of a mother monkey that gave milk. And the other had a wire figure of a monkey, but it was covered in terry cloth and it also gave milk. And he just watched them for a week or whatever it was. And what he noticed, here comes the thunder. What he noticed was that the dog, the monkeys that were with the wire mother failed to thrive. They didn't have good weight. They didn't have, uh, they weren't active. They just clearly weren't happy and they weren't thriving as much as the ones in the terry cloth covered monkeys cage. Those, those monkeys were happier because they, had, they were cuddly. They could cuddle up with their mother and it felt better to them so they were happier. So what this says to me is that monkeys are primates, of course, but we are all, as mammals, we need that affection and praise as well as just food. So both monkeys had equal access to food, but we need something else. And although dogs aren't primates, they are mammals like we are, and they need that as well. So don't dis devalue your praise and reinforcement and affection because, uh, in thinking that you're doing just as well with food. You may be, but if you add praise to that, you're going to get even further. So getting back to it, so primary reinforcement is usually food or play or something like that or praise, okay? But so the clicker then is a secondary reinforcer. It's a learned, there's a learning component to it. Again, that the, do the dog learned that the clicker predicts that this praise or food or something is going to arrive in the same way that the kathunk on that hopper of food predicted the food for the pigeon that was learning to blow up factories. Um, so, of course, another word that is used in conjunction with, with the clicker is that it's a marker. Has you've heard that used, that the clicker marks behavior, right? So the dog does X, stops at a curve, and you click. Then you have marked it, and then the dog can get a piece of food or some praise or a play or whatever, whatever the is reinforcing the dog for that work. Now, here's one you may not have heard. The clicker is technically often referred to as a bridging stimulus a bridging stimulus. And colloquially, that would be called a bridge. So that if I saw someone, another trainer, training a species with which I was not familiar. So for example, I, met, I ran into a fella, I'm making, I'm making this up, who was training an anteater, all right? And I said, huh, 
how do you train an anteater? And he said, well, I'm using a bridging stimulus. I said, oh, what do you use as a bridge with an anteater? And he said, well, as it happens, they like clickers. I, I would say, okay, good, that works for me. Their ears are such that clickers work very well for them. That's species specific. So if you were to work with dolphins or whales or any other marine mammals, in general, they don't use clickers as markers. They use whistles. Why? Probably because of the acoustic properties of water, the language of dolphins, because they, they talk in clicks all the time, and maybe the, the hearing mechanisms of the, of the dolphins themselves. Now, let me ask you a question. I'm going to give you a minute to ponder this. What if you were working with a deaf dog? So you have a deaf dog. Obviously, a clicker is not going to work as a bridge, okay, or a bridging stimulus or a marker or a condition reinforcing. You can't use a clicker because your dog is deaf. So what you need is you need something that will come on and off really quickly so you can get very precise when the dog does what you want and be very noticeable to the dog that can, so that it can recognize it. I'll give you a 30 seconds to think about that while I have a drink to wet my whistle for a second. We don't have a chat availability here, do we, by the way? Uh, no, we do not. That's disabled. Okay. All right. The best answer that I've seen uh, used, and I've seen it done, is a flashlight. Because you can click it on and off really quickly. It's very precise. And a deaf dog, obviously, can still see it. So... Uh, so the clicker is, when we talk about clicker training, we're really talking about marker training and we're talking about the availability of different kinds of markers for different species. They all have a couple of unique features. One is that they're very salient. That is, they're not like everything else. You know, they, the click doesn't sound like anything else. The flashlight to that deaf dog doesn't sound like anything else. And the whistle for the dolphin trainer certainly doesn't sound like anything else. So, uh, the, but why do we call it a bridge? Well, let's imagine what do bridges do in the real world, okay? Let's, let's take a look at, oh, the San Francisco, the, the, the Golden Gate Bridge or George Washington Bridge or something like that, but also imagine uh, an overpass on a highway where one road crosses over the other <clears throat> and the, 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 uh, the, bridge, the road has to go underneath the bridge. So when you have a bridge, obviously you have something that connects two things, San Francisco to Marin County, New Jersey to New York, the one side of the roadway to the other, over something. In this case, you know, either the, the water under the Golden Gate, the Hudson River, or the highway that's being crossed. Um, so when, 
we're talking about clicker training, the click as the click as being the bridge. What are we talking about? Well, let's use New York and New Jersey just because that's my neck of the woods. <laughs> I don't know if you guys could hear that, but it was loud. Oh, we could. <laughs> <laughs> this is exciting. Um, it's been wonderful talking to you, by the way. Uh, the, um, so if you have New York and New Jersey, if, and the click is the bridge in our analogy, what's on one side of the bridge and what is on the other? On one side of the bridge is the behavior. Let's say the behavior is ringing a bell. If the dog rings the bell, we click. What's on the other side? That's the bridge, not the clicker, by the way. The clicker is not the bridge. The click is the bridge. Or the flashlight, if the dog is deaf. Or the whistle, if it's a whale or a dolphin, okay? But the click, the marker, is the bridge, okay? So on the one side of the bridge, we have the dog that rings the bell. Here's the click. And what does the dog know? The dog knows that on the other side of the bridge, there is a reinforcer or a reward. I hope that makes sense to everyone. So that's why when you talk to a trainer with an anteater, you say, what do you use as a bridge with the anteater? You use something that is salient and, and, and sticks out for the animal and that can be used to connect a behavior to a reward. That connection is really powerful. You know, before the advent of clicker training, there were dolphins, there were captive dolphins, but there were no dolphin shows. Dolphins were to be seen. Maybe they did a nice jump once in a while and got a fish for it, but nothing fancy. Nothing like what you can see now at, at dolphin parks like SeaWorld or any of the other places because they couldn't train the dolphins to do that. You can't very easily put a leash and a collar on a dolphin. Coffin, collars are really hard. Have you ever seen a dolphin? They're really, they're kind of pointy. They fall, everything falls off of them. So you can't put uh, a collar on a dolphin. Plus they weigh a thousand pounds or more. You can't, you can't like force them into a sit or a down. So to develop the technologies that they use now to train dolphins, that's all operant work. That's all clicker work. And that all comes back to, goes back to Skinner and his pigeons in Minneapolis. Um, so let's take a minute and, and we're, what we're gonna do together, and I'm sorry you're silent over there and I'm, I'm hoping that I live through this lightning storm. Um, the, let's train a dolphin together. And what we're going to do is we're going to take a dolphin, all right, and we're going to have him in a tank, in a really, really big tank, all right? And the dolphin needs a name. Usually I do this by survey, but I surveyed this group in advance, and the choice for some reason was Vicky. So <laughs> the dolphin's name is going to be Vicky. And what we're going to do is we're going to train Vicky to do one of those big sea world jumps, you know, where the dolphin comes right up out of the water and, and way up high on command. Dolphins do that 
by themselves. They like doing that. It's fun. If, you, if you've ever been on a boat ride, sometimes dolphins will surf along, alongside the boat. They just love doing that. It's fun for them. Uh, but they don't do it when you tell them to. They do it when they want to. Just like dogs can sit and lie down in the wild, but of course they do. But getting them to do it when you, when you want them to is called training. Okay. So we've got our dolphin out there, Vicky, and she's swimming around very happily. We're going to decide to train her. And what we're going to do is we're going to go get ourselves a bucket of bits of fish and a whistle. And we're going to stand on the side of the tank and we're going to blow our whistle. And then we're going to give our dolphin a fish. Whistle, a piece of 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 fish. We're going to do it the whole bucket full. Whistle fish, whistle fish, whistle fish. Whistle fish, whistle fish, whistle fish, whistle fish, whistle fish, whistle fish, whistle fish. A whole bunch of times until we get to the bottom of the bucket. Then we're going to go away. And we're going to get more fish. And we're going to come back. And Vicky, in the meantime, has been swimming around the tank restlessly, kind of full, pretty happy, but just swimming around the tank thinking that was a lot of fun. Don't know what he's up to, but really cool. It was nice while it lasted. And then we appear again. Vicky comes over to us and says, I'd like another fish, please. We say no. Vicky says, what the hell? Give me a fish. No. Give me a fish. No. Okay. So she's a little annoyed, but she swims away. And as she's swimming away, at a certain point, she has to come up for air because she's a dolphin, not a fish. When her head comes out of the water, we blow the whistle. Now, we've already built the connection between the whistle and the fish. So when her head comes up out of the water and she hears the whistle, she says, oh, boy. And she zooms back over to the side of the tank, gets a nice chunk of fish, waits around for more. Nothing happens. She swims away again. After a little while, she's circling around the tank the other way. All of a sudden, she needs a drink of water or a drink of air. So she comes up out of, the, out of the tank. Her head comes up out of the water. We blow the whistle. She zooms back, gets another nice chunk of fish, waits around for a while, goes out, needs to breathe, comes up for a bit of air. We blow the whistle. She comes back in, swims back out. Long about that time, she starts to think to herself, hmm, I think I've noticed a pattern here. Unless I'm mistaken, I believe I've trained this guy to pay me for breathing. How cool is that? And so she decides to experiment and she comes up for air even though she doesn't really need to take a breath at that moment. And sure enough, when her head is up out of the water, <coughs> we blow the whistle, she comes back in for a thing, a bite of fish, goes back out, comes up out of the water a little bit, we blow the whistle, she comes in, gets a bite of fish. She thinks she's playing us. She's getting free food, all she has to do is breathe. How cool is that? But that's not really what's going on because we have a bigger plan. And so once we've got that established, we're going to begin what we call shaping. And what we're going to do is she's going to come up, put her head out of the water. We're not going to do a thing. We're not going to blow the whistle. She goes down again. She says, what just happened? Maybe you didn't see it. She does it again. We don't blow the whistle. She does it again. We don't blow the whistle. She does it again. She's getting mad now. We don't blow the whistle. She does it again. We don't blow the whistle. So then she does a big one and splashes down. We blow the whistle. Oh, 
She comes back in, gets a bit of fish, goes back out, does a bunch of small ones, does a bigger one. We blow the whistle when she's out of the water. She comes back, gets another piece of fish. And soon enough, we're building bigger and bigger jumps until we get what we want, which is that big jump on command. I hope that makes some sense. But let's think about this. What was important there was when we blew the whistle. If we had blown the whistle before she came up out of the water, or if we had blown the whistle after she went down under the water again, we would not have gotten what we did. What was important that we blew the whistle when her head was out of the water, not just so she could hear it, but that was what we wanted. We wanted her up out of the water and then down. So getting back to historical dolphin parts. There were no places where you, could, where you could go pay 50 bucks and watch, a, say, watch somebody say dolphin jump and the dolphin would jump out of the water and back. That all came with this technology that, that Bob Bailey and Karen Pryor and those guys evolved to train dolphins. But what's important there, what the clicker buys you, what the marker buys you, what the bridge buys you, is the ability to give a reward after a behavior has happened and have the animal, in this case a dolphin, Vicky, understand what it was getting the reward for, even though it happened 30 seconds ago at the other side of a big tank. So because Vicky heard that whistle when she was out of the water at the other side of the tank, she knew that she was getting a reward for that. You know, what we're working with there in the dog or dolphin mind is a special piece of memory that we all have. That's the piece of memory that is ultra short term. It's not short term memory like you said yesterday, I want a hot dog. It's ultra short. It's what works for us so well. When you, you, you leave the house and you go, crap, I forgot my phone. And so you go back in the house, put your key on the table right next to the door, get your phone, come back and put your hand right on those keys that you put there. Now, the next day you've forgotten the entire incident, completely forgotten it. All right. It only bothers you when that system fails you. <clears throat> when you come in, put your keys on the table, grab the phone and start checking your pockets going, what the hell did I do? Where did I put them? You start searching the house. Okay, then you realize, oh yeah, it's back over there by the door where I put them on the table. That ultra short-term memory that is disposable, you, get, you can put something in it and you lose it. You can, it goes away the next day. You have no memory of it whatsoever is what we're working with when we work with the clicker, but it works very, very well. <clears throat> Vicky the dolphin heard the, the whistle at the other side of the tank, recognized what she was doing at the moment she heard that and swam back and got her piece of fish for that action. <clears throat> that is what we're working with when we use the marker. Without it, you have to, what we would have had to do <coughs> excuse me, was take a fish and try to throw it at Vicky just as she was coming out of the water. With it, we can mark a behavior and reward it afterwards. <coughs> That's at least part of the power of clicker training, okay? Uh, and, and that's kind of how it works. So what's important is 
What's really important is that you click or mark whatever you're using. And many people, although the dogs were trained with the clicker, will start to use a secondary mark that they invent themselves. Uh, I do that. Uh, I don't always have a clicker handy and there may be things that I want to reward or reinforce. My own mark is a kiss sound. Um, and and I'll, I'll use that. Other people use other markers or whatever. But what that, what that, all of that is important is that you've got to click on time. You've got to be spot on. You get which click. Okay. So if we had, if we had blown the whistle after Vicky went back underwater, wouldn't have gotten a thing. If we had blown the whistle before Vicky came out of the water, wouldn't have gotten what we wanted. We had to blow the whistle when he was out of the water between coming up and going down. Then we got what we wanted. You get what you click. You get what you mark. Okay. So, uh, and that, that's the hardest thing for new people coming at this to understand and to realize is how important the timing of that marking is. Um, and, and I think at that point, I think I'm going to stop now. I don't, don't, and see if there are any questions. Can I do that, Moderatrix? All right. Uh, sounds good. So if you have any questions, now we'll take some raised hands. So Alt-Y on PC, Option-Y on Mac, raise my hand button on your mobile device screen, or star 9 if you are dialing in with the phone. And we do have some raised hands. All right. First, we have, first we have Frank. And Frank, you should be allowed to unmute yourself. I sent you an alert as well that you can respond to. Okay, I'm going to try that again. And then if not, hopefully we can get you sorted and we'll shift to the next person. So if you... Okay, well, we'll keep you raised in case we can get you sorted later on. But next we have Haley. And Haley, you should be allowed to unmute yourself. <clears throat> Hi, everyone. Hi, Lucas. Hi, Haley. Um, I love clicker training. I'm a GDB graduate, and um, I especially love it when we're going to conventions mm -hmm. so that my dog can find my room. And it usually only takes one or two times of that, and they can find it. Are it's been really easy, now? this convention, right? Yeah, really. Perfect. <laughs> so, but the thing that I'm finding is um, my dog has never been um, like a food. I mean, he, he loves the food treats but he's never been the dog that would sit and beg or take things, you know, that he shouldn't take. But now he's nine almost. Wow. And I'm, and I'm realizing that when I go to bed, I hear click, click, click on the wood floor in my kitchen. And I always assumed it was our pet dog. Cause of course my guide wouldn't be naughty. Right. Hardly. Um, <laughs> but I've come down a couple of times and it's actually him. <laughs> so how do I use the clicker to keep him out of the kitchen? <laughs> Oh, boy. You know, I, this is a very difficult um, position to be in because you're not one of our graduates. And even if you were, yeah. I, you know, I'd be reluctant to, to give you advice okay. on, on, on this scale. Um, okay. I, will, I will say, just in a very general way, that you always have, a, not always, but you often have a choice between management and training. You know, and you have to right. decide 
what you what you want to which approach you want to take uh, and this may be one of those where you go you know I could come up with a, a very clever scheme uh, to to teach my dog to not go into the kitchen uh, what's he doing in there by the way do you think well I think he's probably looking for food <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's what I that's what I usually do I mean, there's not anything that he can get to. Um, and that's the reason that, you know, they've never been, none of our dogs have ever been allowed in the kitchen because right. like the fur and just everything, right? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Sure. But I assume that's what he's looking for, but there's nothing he can find. So you think he'd learn by now? You'd think, but, uh, but you know, the intermittent reinforcement is really powerful. Um, yeah. So the, uh, but, you know, I, I would, this, to me, this would be something that I would probably deal with through management. You know, okay. uh, I would figure out a way to maybe keep my bedroom door closed and keep them in there or, or right. whatever your setup is. Yeah, that's what I've been doing. I just, I didn't want to put them on a tie at, all night. Um, but so what I've been doing is just, you know, making sure he came up, comes up with me when I go to bed and then I close the door. Yeah, exactly. You know, so, that's, okay. That's what be, you know, you might want to look at some kind of collapsible crate, nice, comfortable crate. That he could okay. be in there, so he'd have his own place. He might like that. Not every dog does, but some dogs. You know, right. he's nine. He's not used to being crated too much, so he might be a little apprehensive. But he might, or he yeah. might. You, you never. If you could borrow one from a friend or something, right. you, know, you know, just to try okay. it. You know, because some dogs actually love it. Right. Yeah, you know, our pet dog does. I have one, okay. so I could try it. Okay. Yeah. Thank. Okay. Thank you, Haley. All right. Next, just trying to give the most people a chance here. Um, next, we have, and we'll come back, but uh, next we have Terrence. You should be allowed to unmute yourself there. Hello? Oh, we can hear you, but you're very uh, low. Is there some way you can be louder? Hello? Oh, there, you're better. Okay, go ahead. Um, my name is Terrence. I am, I'm, bl I'm blind and I'm interested in becoming an animal trainer. I was listening and i was wondering um is there a school that you went to to, to be able to train as a trainer uh for just as an animal trainer yeah well yeah there are a lot of them and you know for example uh, if you're interested there are a lot of animal training schools all over the place uh dog training in particular uh, there's uh, the Karen Pryor Academy uh, is is one that I think does some online work that might be helpful to you, but it's tricky. You know, that, you know. Also, I know that uh, Vicky Vicky Curley, you went through an animal training uh, sort of course, unless I'm mistaken. Maybe you. Can no, you're correct. I went to uh, West Virginia Canine College, uh, but they're unfortunately no longer. Uh, around, but there are several other programs like that. This is Andrea. Let me let me just cut in. I'm I so appreciate your question, Terrence. I think you said your name is. I want to keep us on track with clicker training because of this particular session. But feel welcome. I I, I believe that we have received an email from you. And maybe just haven't had a chance to respond to it. And know that all of the guide dog programs do have apprenticeships in their own program. But just to keep this on task, I want to get us back to clicker training um, questions. All right. Thank you, Andrea. All right. So next we have, um, let me try before we go back. Oh, Frank, I think you are unmuted now. Can you hear me? We can. All right. Right. Hey, what's going on, man? How are you? Great, 
great presentation. I'm I'm wondering like the timing of the of the clicker. How do you uh, start the teach the dog to target, and then the timing of it on a day to day basis as you're dealing out in the street. Uh, like the clicker with the food. Right, right, right. Well, again, what's important is the click. You got to get that on time. Right. Pretty much. There's. I think there's a little bit more slop in there than than the, the experts say, but certainly in the beginning, it's really important. When we, and again, our training is a little bit different than I think many schools are in terms of, we start off with targeting and the reason, the way we do it and the way we teach our students to make it accessible for them uh, is we have a bell that the dog is trained to hit. And basically mm-hmm. it was when the dog hits the bell, you, rent, you, you click, so you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's useful for, for targeting. So. You would hang the bell, for example, on a bus stop pole that you wanted to get to. Mm-hmm. And then you could teach the dog to, to hit that bell. And then when the dog hit the bell, you'd know you were at the pole and you could give the dog a treat at the pole. And then you right. do it a few times and then get rid of the target. Now, in terms of other behaviors, you know, I'll tell you, I've been doing this for a very, very long time. And the, the first person that, and this is, again, just me, this was so long ago that there weren't clickers available. <laughs> I knew about clickers, but there were no cl- you couldn't get a clicker for hell or high water. Right, right. And by the way, I don't know if she's on this call, but my dear friend Vicki Winslow is the person who got me started in clicker training a uh, hundred million years ago. Is Vicki there? I don't even know. But she deserves a lot of credit. From my perspective, she deserves a ton of credit for, uh, uh, <clears throat> for getting me started in that one Christmas. She gave me two clickers and a little book. <laughs> um, but the uh, years ago, I, I worked with a fellow who had a dog that was a little bit bulky. You know, every now it would just sort of stop. And so the traditional things that we would do with that, of course, is take the leash in the right hand and get the dog to move out again a little bit and then praise it and reinforce it and off you go. Well, this fellow had a stroke and he couldn't use his right hand anymore. And he still had this bulky dog. So anything that you could do with the right hand, he couldn't do. Um, <clears throat> But what he could do, and again, there were no clickers, so, but he used a marker, and the marker he, we developed between us was the word treat, uh, said in a very specific, unique way. And when the dog demonstrated initiative, in other words, if the dog made a sharp move to the left or the right, he would say treat, stop, reach in with his left hand into his pouch and give the dog a treat. <clears throat> and as long, he was able to detect when the dog made a great move, left or right, and he marked that. And sure enough, the dog, you know, he was able to keep that dog in service for a little while. You need something that you can detect. Now, it may be something when the dog stops, if you put your foot out and there's a curb there, you might do that. I don't want it, but it has to be quite precise in terms of, uh, of, of when you do it. It doesn't do you much good if, you, if the dog does something right and you click 10 seconds later. Why? Well, because the dog is doing something else at that moment. Number one, you can two, se- two seconds, one second, you might be able to get away, but you know, 10, 15 seconds, maybe not. Uh, and that's part of the trick with, with this type of training uh, is you need to figure out ways to make the behavior accessible to yourself because you want to get the click in on time. You need to figure out when the behavior is accessible to you. There are different ways to do it and different techniques that you can use to make certain things accessible. All right. Next, we have someone calling in on the phone. This is the number ending in 1080, and you should be able to talk. 
Yep, go ahead. No, you were you were mute. You were unmuted before. So there you are. Go ahead. Hi, Lucas. It's Tony Ames. Hey, Tony. How have you been? Very, very well. I walk with a support cane, and I have the clicker attached to the support cane. So I can click really quickly, but it's getting the food out of the pouch or the pocket that's more time-wasting uh, for me. So it may take a few seconds. Does that matter? I mean, no. my dog is so food-oriented that she'll wait patiently and say, good. No. No, and now fun. that I don't always use clickers, and I just have to you know, tell her good girl, and she looks at me and says, oh, well, I guess no food, and keeps going. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, that's, that's exactly the, the, the benefit of the clicker, right, is that once you've done that, you've, you've in, in effect, signed a promissory note, says you're getting food. And the dog knows that because they have that clicker food connection uh, that we talked about with, with Vicky the dolphin, okay? And once you've clicked, it's kind of like Christmas. Christmas is coming, and they're just sitting there waiting for the present. You know that they know it's they know it's coming. That's why the clicker is so so useful. Is it buys you the time to you, as long as you click on time, bingo, the dog knows the treat is coming. And if it takes you five ten seconds to reach in there, fifteen seconds, twenty seconds to reach into that pouch to to get the dog a piece of food, you're fine. Good, thank you. Sure. All right, thank you, Tony. Next we have Paul, and you should be able to unmute yourself. Paul, I've sent you an alert to unmute yourself as well. I can. There can you, you hear are. me? Yep. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Good. Okay. Um, I have, um, I've got my guide dogs eight years old now, and we got her from Leader Dog, and I've asked them about clicker. They don't do, I guess they do clicker training in the training process, but they don't do clicker training in the, um, you know, for the students. What they tell me is that you just use, they just use a keyword that teach the dog, which means yes. Uh -huh. And I assume that clicking, what you're using the clicker training for is to teach him something. Mm -hmm. And that's perfect. That's, that's the only thing it's really for, right? It's to, it's to train them to do something new. Is well, that correct? That, you know, I'm going to wait for more of your question before I jump into that. Okay. So, so anyway, so I, I just asked them, well, how do you pattern? And they said, um, well, you just use the keyword yes. So they do something, you say yes, and then you give them the food. They do something and they say yes, and you give them the food. Now, my dog, fortunately, is a smart butt. She almost always patterns herself for almost anything we do. I don't ever have to have a pattern her. And that's but true. If I ever but that's to, true. You know, again, you know, I just want to say, interrupt you for a second to say this. Sure. Now, I think clicker training is the best thing since sliced bread. But there were a dog or two who did this, uh, who guided before there were clickers. Uh, sure. Maybe three dogs. Uh, maybe, you know, 70 years of dogs or 85 years of dogs. So the clicker, you know, didn't make training possible. The clicker maybe made, click, made training a little quicker and a little easier on the dogs because you could explain stuff to them. Uh, but, it is, you know, dogs have guided for a hell of a long time. As you know, Paul, your dog wasn't trained with a clicker and that's been out there doing fine for six years, right? Well, so, so why is the clicker so preferred, though? There you go. That's, the, that's, that's a great question. Um, and the, the answer is because it helps. <laughs> okay. uh, the, you know, the, if you use it well as a trainer or as a, as a handler, it, it helps. And let, let me just point out another thing. One, one of the, the problems that can happen with using food, as I think some of you have found out or know, is that the dog can look for food all the time. 
uh, because they don't know when they're getting it. And uh, Tony, Tony Ames said, uh, said, a few, said a few minutes ago that her dog would look for, she would say good dog and the dog would look for food and they'd say, ah, not today and be on its way. Uh, well, one of the benefits of using a marker of some type is that the dog knows food is coming and doesn't worry about it the rest of the time. So that's kind of why it's more precise. Uh, then, but again, is it necessary? No. And you know that from your own experience because your dog has been working for six years and didn't learn with a clicker, right? And you haven't used one. So would it even be beneficial to me to try to introduce clicker training to her at this point? Yeah. You know, I I have mixed emotions about that. You know, I, 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 not without a, I would say no, not without somebody giving you some coaching tips because it is fair. It is fairly easy to, to screw up. I do know that leader dog is using the clicker quite a bit now. Uh, and you know, when, and if you go back for your next dog, I'm sure you'll get more information about it and about how to use food in an ongoing fashion with your next dog. But you know, two or three years, two or three years to go and we'll do it. Boy, I hope I wish you all the best for that plan. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Paul. Next we have Deanna and you should be able to unmute yourself and I've sent you an alert now as well. Thank you. Yep, I am. <laughs> Hi, Lucas. Oh, gosh, it wouldn't be a convention without you, Deanna. It's so good <laughs> I know, except I missed the hug. <laughs> yeah, I do, too. Deanna and I were in class together 80 years ago, 75 years Something ago? like that. He was, his, he was the apprentice <laughs> in my second dog class. Yep. Oh. And um, we spent a lot of time at park time because my dog refused to use that dirty park. We set up so, a- it was quite yes. <laughs> so we spent a lot of time out there because he was the apprentice. Everybody else would go back in and we would sing the Alka-Seltzer song to see if we could encourage him. That's right. You know, plop, plop, this, this, oh, what a relief it is. Um, now currently, I feel like in a convention, so good. <laughs> <laughs> currently, um, I'm having a dog that is very eager to put his harness on if he sees my husband getting ready to go out because he knows we're going in the car. But if I'm just going to go walk for exercise Mm -hmm. um, in a residential neighborhood, Mm -hmm. he hides. Mm. He's been sneaking back into his crate or someplace else or just lying there quietly in a corner watching me. But I can even take my cane out and walk out the door without a he could care less. So yeah. Yeah. I've been trying to work with the clicker because we have a lot of diagonal crossings in my neighborhood. Oh, really? Uh-huh. And with no traffic, it's harder for me to judge when he does a diagonal crossing. And because he's a very clever fellow, he will sometimes do a diagonal cross- crossing in such a way that he can turn himself around and get me back going back home even though we haven't completed the distance i want to walk that day so (laughs) i have got him to find the diagonal crossings now with the clicker but i'm not having as good a luck in getting him to actually guide with any enthusiasm it's like not a lot of fun eh, there yeah no he's bored one of the things that's (laughs) happening i I think and I, i i can't of course speak for any other school but uh you know, one of the things that's happening is dogs are getting bored out there. There ain't no place to go. You know, pe- people are, because of the quarantine and 
the quarantines and the, the stay-at-home orders and the fact that all the businesses are closed and where workplaces of employment are closed. This is a, a, a huge issue that, the, that there are a lot of bored dogs out there uh, and from, from, from all kinds of schools and people are having issues with this. We do hear about it. Uh, one, you know, there's no easy way around this, Deanna, but the, uh, uh, have, have, have you set up some kind of a midpoint destination? Um, there really isn't any, I mean, there's a market that's about two thirds of a mile from my house. So that's like a mile, it's about a mile and a half round trip. Mm -hmm. And I can go there two different ways mm -hmm. and I can mix it up, you know, by alternating and going on a side trip around a loop or something. But no, there's really that's the only destination other than my house that well, you know, I, I would can actually go. <laughs> yeah, I, would, I think going there would be helpful. And if he had something great he could do there, you know, every day or people he could meet and see, you know, when he got there who like him and could pet him, you know, that could become a, a good destination for you. Uh, because, the, the, you know, just exercise walks often, in my experience, uh, can can backfire on you just the way you're talking about. Can I give you a call later? Sure. Okay, we'll uh, do. Thank you, Deanna. All right, next we have Marcia, and you should be allowed to unmute yourself. And I've also sent you an alert on your screen. Okay, okay, uh, can you hear me? Um, I have um, a guide that I've had for oh, seven years, and I'm doing something that's rather um, that can be considered rather novel. Of course, you know my yeah my school doesn't do this, uh -huh. but I have actually trained my guide to work because uh, I use a wheelchair an awful lot of the time and. I've trained her to do it uh, without any real problem. I just use my feet as a pedal and just kind of pedal along and have her in guide position. And, and she loves it. <laughs> Good for you. That's great. And, and uh, you know, since none of the schools train dogs uh, for wheelchair people that I know of. Right. Um, you know, I'm... <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to, you know, probably have to, you know, do as much standing as I can and everything, but then I'll be using okay. a wheelchair. Again, more, I'm sorry to get in, but again, oh, yeah, we're yeah, trying to yeah, keep right. I know this we're trying. on topic. Uh, what yeah. I was talking about, was, uh, what about the timing of clicker training? Well, you it, know? Sounds like, it sounds like you've got there, got there 100%. Sounds like without a clicker, you've got there. And <clears throat> I say again that dogs are pretty remarkable critters, as I think you probably know. <laughs> and uh, uh, you know they they figure out what we want a lot and try their best to make it happen for us. So it sounds like you're in pretty good shape. I would, I think you could you could screw this up if you if you do it just right. So if you've got a good thing going for you, don't mess with it. Oh yeah, that, that works. <laughs> All right, thank you, Marcia. Next, we have a phone number that is ending in one two five two and you are unmuted okay can you hear me yes lucas this is berna hope good you are well good hey there good to talk to you 
I'm doing fine. I have a question, though. Um, <laughs> yeah, I have to put my recycle crate out every other week or so, and when they empty it, they might throw it to New Jersey. So <laughs> the challenge is to find it. Right. And I would like, and I think I could, teach because Rex takes me out to find it anyway, teach him to find it. But what I don't want to do is teach him to find every crate that's out on the sidewalk along our route. So what are the chances if I teach him to find my crate that he'll try to show me every crate that we pass? Um, are they all identical? Sort of yes. town issue? Yeah, okay. Uh, I think if you do yours, first of all, there, there are several parts to this. One is you want to put a, the, the behavior on cue. Okay, that's jargon, um, and it's C-U-E, not the letter Q, okay? Uh, right. And on cue means two things. One, that your dog does it when you ask it to, and the second part of that is that it doesn't do it if you don't ask him to. Okay. Okay? So in, in clicker work, in general, you get the behavior to happen, and you can use your target for that pretty easily, I would think, right? Right. Right. Uh, and once you've got the dog to go to the crate, okay, and it is reliably so that you can find it, okay, then you can begin to add the cue, which might be crate, okay? So okay. Then, then you would say crate just before you got there and, and, and click and treat when you got there. Then you want to generalize it out and take the crate and move it all over the place to the left, to the right, further away, further away, closer up the driveway, whatever it is. Now, it's not impossible that your dog going out is going to start showing you other crates. And you, you can just say, no, hop up, because you haven't given the cue. Okay. Right? So part of the secret to this is getting that behavior, not just to happen, but to get, to get it to happen when you say so. So you might go out the driveway one day and miss, and the crate's not there, or you put the crate out and the dog shows it to you and you say, no, no, hop up. You know, and you go on and then you come back and you do that a few times. And then you come out the driveway and you say crate and the dog goes, oh, I heard my cue word. It goes and hits the crate and you're good. And that's how you train the dog to only do it when you say to do it and not to do it when you don't. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, Thank you. All right. Thank you. Next, we have Cindy and you should be allowed to unmute yourself, Cindy. There Hi. you are. Yeah, I got it. Hi, Maria. Hi, Lucas. Hi. Hi, this is Cindy, and I have Gardenia, who is a master at clicking. She can identify, as of yesterday, 41 items in the grocery store, none of which are chicken, just to say. <laughs> and uh, well, some examples as, of things she can identify. Yeah, well, she knows where the canned tomatoes are. Canned tomatoes. She knows where the English muffins are. And the bread. Now, can't she can't pick out a loaf? No, but you know she's pretty good at that. She knows You've all. Got some work to do then, huh? You got to figure out. She you knows want to, all the produce, up. and she always. I don't have to tell her to go to the bananas. When we go in the store, she automatically goes to the bananas. But, um, she's very good, and she wants to learn the store. So at the grocery, when they somebody else say, "Well, where's the broccoli? Y'all move it," they go ask Gardenia. And she'll find it. But the thing is that I, when you were just talking about the recycle bin, I have the same issue. 
but we have these big tall with lids on them trash cans and it's what you said i taught her the bin and she knows because sometimes it ends a house away sometimes two mm-hmm. once all the way at the end of the block but yeah. she didn't go down there for it because there were others down there so uh what you said is that it's the same thing it's that cue Right. And um, so I don't, see, we've been, since we haven't been to the office, but twice since March, yeah. I've been teaching her specific neighbor houses to go to. Uh-huh. And so, you know, houses that we go to frequently. She right. didn't really know their house, except they had a cat or a dog. But I've gotten her to say, okay, and let's go to Molly's house. That's her dog friend. And she'll go there from here. Cool. And so it's been, like you said, it's been a real gem with, you know, with all this COVID stuff because she wants to go all the time. She's willing. And I've had her seven and a half years. Don't go there. I know what's coming. I know you do. But I will say the clicker is the best in the shopping center. There's two hair places that I go to. And she knows them one by, one's the hair cuttery, by hair, and the other one by salon. And, you know, I don't give her anything anymore when we get there except a pat, a kiss, or a yes. You, you, know, you don't have to do that every time, just once they learn. Yep. Hello, Cindy. This is, this is Andrea. Thank I'm you, sure. Cindy. We're going to... Yeah, we we're, we're almost out of time, so okay. we need to... Yeah, thank you. All right. We're... All right. Thank you, Andrea. All right. And folks, please do try and be concise with your questions or comments. Deborah, you are next. You should be able to unmute yourself. My question is the opposite. I, um, I found it really annoying to have to say, find the elevator, find the this, find the that. So now all I do, and I want to ask you if you think this is acceptable, is say, where is it? So when I get near something that the dog has been rewarded for finding before, I just say, where is it? And when they find it, I click. And I found it is a lot more useful and it gets the dog to think. Are you okay with that? Do you think that's acceptable? I do, yes. Um, My question. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. I'm happy to mute now. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you said my question. Oh, that's your question. Okay, very good. Thank you. Yes, oh. I, I do. You know, it's, it's, that's a different kind of cue. That's a, you know, dogs don't understand the words find the, they don't understand asparagus or, or even tomato. Uh, they, they make an association. So if your association is with, is with the word, where is the, you know, then, then you're in good shape. You know? Okay, great. Thank you. And our last question, Luke, is we have from Miranda. And Miranda, you can unmute yourself. I've sent you an alert also. You can just, there you hey, are. Hey, everyone. Hi, Miranda. Hey. Um, uh, so I just want to touch on, you know, we've kind of talked about the, um, we've kind of talked about the, um, you know, routes and, and exercise routes and, yeah. and using the marker words and such. Mm-hmm. And since COVID, I had to get a little bit creative with what the heck do I do with my dog like everybody yep. else, right? <laughs> so um, I started... Um, I was chuckling when you I'm were sorry, saying Miranda, we're, we're running out of time here. So if you could kindly, it's 4.15. So if you could just kindly quickly ask your question, that would be great. Or if yeah, not. I was just, okay, go ahead. I was just going to share a quick comment. Um, but I oh, was going to say. Okay. Then just, I'm, I'm sorry. If it's a quick okay, comment, I apologize. Right, but no because worries. it is important to end on time. Thank you so much. Okay. So, no worries. Okay. Thank you. So okay. Andrea, if you want to give any quick closing comments, we are at time here. 
Great, thank you so much. And I'm so sorry, I wish we could go on for hours and hours, but I'll get fired and then that will be terrible. Well, at least I want to believe you'll think it's terrible. Um, so thank you everyone for coming. Lucas, thank you, this was amazing. I have to admit sheepishly that I'm not a fan of Clicker, at least I wasn't. Um, but the way that you explain things today and the, and the way that you made it relevant has actually really sort of changed my perspective on that. Um, I want to thank everyone who's been here today participating. I want to remind, remind everyone to buy your raffle tickets. You have until noon tomorrow. I want to thank Maria. You are astounding at this. Absolutely. Let <laughs> it's you and not great me. Great moderation. Great moderation. Absolutely. Moderatrix. I think that's a great title. There you go. Thank you. That's great. And. Uh, Penny, do you have anything to wrap up before we leave? No, I just want to thank Lucas for coming. It was wonderful as usual. And uh, I think I'm going to be calling you soon, Lucas. No, um, okay. Willow is not doing All right. All right. Um, thank but, you. Um, thank everybody for coming. Maria, as Andrea said, you're amazing. Thank you so much. <laughs> Are you here tomorrow, too? I am. Yeah. Yay. Good to have me back tomorrow, okay. whether it's have good a, or bad. Take your have a great <laughs> night and be safe, and we'll see you tomorrow at one thirty. And it's all the same Zoom numbers tomorrow, so it Yay. should be easy to come back. Thank you, Lucas. Bye -bye. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye, everybody. Thank you so much. Happy